Marcheseau slides it around the rim. He's got Eichel, top of the left circle, closing in. He shoots, he scores! Jack Eichel, power play goal! Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Locke looks up, taps it back to Donov in the middle, he shoots, he scores! Jubilation! Vegas in overtime! Chevrolet, Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios, and live at lvsportsnetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Now we're number two, Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman, Darren Millard. Still healing up. Uh, we count down the days. Honestly, I, I'm, not, I'm not being sarcastic when I say this. We do count down the days until Darren Millard is back with us on the program. He is continuing to heal, continuing to rest, continuing to get better. So passing along that information to all of you uh, and everyone that has sent messages to Darren. Thank you so much for that. Uh, not from Darren, but well, from Darren, but also from me because I've seen it and it makes me happy to know that everybody is wishing Darren the best and the speediest recovery because... Frankly, we all miss Darren, and I think even Chapman misses Darren, and that might not be something that he was expecting throughout this entire process, but in fact, it is true. So Darren, continue to rest up, continue to uh, take your time, and we will be right here with open arms when you get back and you are healthy and ready to go. Now, that all being said, uh, I look at last night's game, and there's a couple of things that, that I took out of last night's game. One, um, is it time to start talking about the power play, Chapman? Well, we were told we had to wait until after the season, right? Before <clears throat> no, we... no, no, no. Listen. <laughs> no, I, I, okay. I know. Listen, I, I, I will say this. Vancouver has the second worst penalty kill in the entire league, and I know that they've been better as of late. That doesn't change the fact that they're not very good on the penalty kill overall. Vegas needed one of those power play... They needed, well, I mean, uh, let me say this. They needed to be much, much better on special teams than they were, and that includes their own penalty yeah. kill. Uh, look, it, it, it's it's a cause for concern. I mean, I'm watching it, and, and I could feel the frustration of fans because I myself am frustrated watching it. I watch them come up into the neutral zone, and then they'll slow it down and they'll pass it back and they gain no momentum going in, in, into the offensive zone and they have a very difficult time setting anything up. And, you know, when I watch other teams, teams that aren't even as good as the Golden Knights, it's like I watch them pass it across, cycle through, you know, they get good shots. Maybe they don't always score, but there's 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 concern. And, and I don't care how healthy they are, even if they make the playoffs, if they don't score and they don't get the power play worked out, I don't think they're going to go very far. Okay, so here's the thing. You take away penalties in that game last night. Who wins? Vegas does, I think. Right. They were far and away better than the Vancouver Canucks last night at 5-on-5. Five five. I don't think that that's really up for debate. Like, if I'm introducing the process and nuance into the situation, um, I think the Golden Knights played well enough last night to win in every aspect outside of penalty kill and power play. And... To me, the, the power play, it wasn't so much that they didn't score. 
on the power play. Like it, they're over their last 18 power play opportunities. Like that is something that absolutely has to improve and it's got to come around in the next eight games. It, it just does. You're not going to win enough games down the stretch. If your power play isn't chipping in a goal here and there to help you win or get points in these, in these final eight games. That being said for me, it's not so much about the, the, the lack of scoring, it was the lack of momentum that continued to build for the Golden Knights within the game. And you saw that at, at no better than in the third period. When the Golden Knights at 5-on-5 five five were absolutely all over the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver never had the puck in the offensive zone. They were bending, not breaking. They were in their zone. They were holding on for dear life. There was nothing positive, nothing moving in the right direction from any aspect of hockey for the Vancouver Canucks at all in the third period. And then they took a penalty. And what should happen in those moments, when you have a team that is clicking on all cylinders at 5-on-5, they're moving the puck in the offensive zone, they're finding seams, they're finding angles, they're getting pucks through, they're scoring goals. When all of that stuff happens in the third period, and then you give that team a power play, it should be even more pressure, even more chances, even more situations to move the needle in the right direction. And what did it do? It halted all their momentum. I don't look at power plays the same way as a lot of other people do. When I'm talking about a power play that I want to do some damage, when I want a power play to come through for a team, it's not so much the overall percentage. I couldn't care less about what the overall percentage at the end of the season is. When the game is in balance and you have an opportunity to come through on special teams, do you or don't you? The Golden Knights had an opportunity to score a tying goal, and then take a lead over the course of two power play opportunities in the third period after they had already scored to close that gap to one. And if you just find those two goals, then you're looking at a completely different story. We're talking about completely different ratings, and we'll get to those in just a minute. We're talking about a team that closed the gap on Los Angeles and and, and has control over their own destiny. And because they didn't have the momentum, because they didn't come through on those power play opportunities when they needed it most, now you're in a situation where you're hopeful that you get help in terms of chasing down Los Angeles. Yeah, like, that's but, the difference, right? But, that's the difference between winning and losing. That's the difference between getting to a point where you have control over the final eight games versus not having it. When you watch their power play, and you know, obviously, you 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 played the game. I never I never played, so I see things a, a little bit different than you do. You know, you have a, a a really good way of analyzing things that maybe the average fan and myself can't. So when you watch their power play, why does it look like they struggle? Why is it so difficult for them to gain any momentum? And you know, they 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 were so much better than than Vancouver in that third period. Why was it so difficult? It almost it's almost like their momentum came to a screeching halt when when Vancouver well, took those penalties. So so why is it so hard and what are they maybe doing that they shouldn't be doing or what are they not doing that they should be doing? So last night is a different situation, right? Because Mark Stone is integrated into the top power play unit. You've got Mark Stone playing for the first time ever in his in his career with Jack Eichel. So I think that there were some communications crossed up in entering the zone. Now, for the Golden Knights, you you got to win 
face-offs, and if you don't win face-offs, you've got to win the puck in it to start off the possession because you need to have zone time. You need to get things set up. You need to to at least establish that possession to to create at least a good opportunity early on in the power play. Uh, I didn't think the puck retrieval was where it needed to be, and then once the puck was cleared out of the zone, I just think the Golden Knights were out of sync in their entries, and then once they did get it in, again, you, you've got Mark Stone kind of crossing up a, a couple of times with Jack Eichel. You're not really having anybody take control. When, when the power play was scoring goals, and this was a couple games back, four, five, six games back, uh, you had Jack Eichel confident with the puck, making plays and taking, uh, taking control of the power play. And I think right now, because you've got so much talent back in the lineup and you've got Mark Stone working on his timing and working on who he's playing with for the first time, I, I don't know that there's control or you're running it through a certain situation. So to me, it's puck retrieval, it's cleaning up the entries, and then something Darren Elliott talks about a lot with, with youth hockey, and I think that this is an incredibly important one. For a Golden Knights team that's so good off the rush, when you are, are you know, when, when the puck is cleared out of the zone on the power play, I like the idea of the Golden Knights utilizing their zone entry, and Jack Eichel does this better than anybody else uh, on the Golden Knights, Utilizing that as a quick way to get a transition chance, and then you've already got momentum trying to chase down a puck if it doesn't go in. You've already got a good chance under your belt, and then you can set up, then you can start to to introduce a little bit of unpredictability to it. But to me, I think I think it's puck retrieval. I think it's uh, not really having a clear design of who you're going to be running this through, especially now with Mark Stone back in the fold. And then it's stagnation away from the puck. Like there's not enough movement to me for the Golden Knights to be able to open up scenes. A lot of times when Jack Eichel's on the half wall, he's holding on, he's patient, he's trying to wait for a defender to make a mistake so that he can zip a puck across the, 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 the ice. But half the time it doesn't go because the, the, the players Jack is trying to find moving enough away from it. You don't have a reason. If you're a defender, right, like you've got Jack Eichel on the half wall, you're a defender, and you know he's trying to zip that, that puck across the ice to Evgeny Dodonov. If Dodonov isn't moving in and out of coverage, if he's not finding different angles or spaces, then what reason does a defender have to move their stick out of the passing lane? There's none. So I think that there's a combination of things, but to me, it's going to start with puck retrievals. It's going to start with trying to find some transi- transition chances when the puck does come out. And then it's it's just about really delivering who the, the message of who's in control, who are we running this through, and how are we going to maximize that skill set. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and I, I think a lot of what you say makes sense because it, it, it does almost sometimes seem that they're a little – unsure of what they need to do. I mean, we, we hear these guys all the time say, oh, we got to keep it simple. You know, we got, we, we got to play simplistic hockey. And it sometimes seems like maybe they overcomplicate things a little bit sometimes when they're on the power play. And, and you know, it, it, it's just a very, I would say, discouraging thing. And it's got to be discouraging yeah. for these guys as well because you're like, wait a minute, we're dominating this game. We're dominating this period. We're dominating this stretch of the game. It should be an advantage for us. And everything we've done good comes to a screeching halt and it's 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 really frustrating because you have to think that it's it's almost like their season just so inconsistent and sometimes you're when you start to feel good about things something bad happens and and it completely derails what it is that you're doing 
So I I don't look at last night's game as a game where the Golden Knights weren't good enough to win. I I don't know uh, where you're going to go with your rating, and I promise I promise we're going to get to it in just a minute. Um, I don't want to do the the lack of process thing here because I think there's nuance to what my game rating needs to be. So let's get into it. The official game rating brought to you by Nova Home Loans, the best combination of service rates and fees. You see what I do that time with the pepper? You see what I do with the pepper? The people, the people, they want the pepper, all right? They want the pepper. So, Chapman, do I have your permission to uh, throw the 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 um, ban on the process out the window for my game rating? Well, yeah, Darren's not here, so I think I think you, you can probably get away with it. <laughs> All right, Chapman, you go first because I'm curious to see where you're at. Well, I I, I think it's right in the middle. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go with a three. I'm going to go with a, a habanero because I feel like there were aspects of the game that they were pretty good. Third period was good. But then there's aspects of the game where they really weren't very good, and special teams was one of them. And I, I guess some people would say, oh, a six-on-five goal is special teams. I don't know if I really count that as a special teams goal. Uh, but... You know, I I thought Robin Leonard probably not one of his banner games. I don't think he's going to put it on his in his highlight reel. Um, you know, it's and and the other side of that is it's a game that they're going to feel like maybe they should have won. They let I I I think they let two points get away. I know they got one point. To me, at this stage of, of the season, that's just not good enough. It's right in the middle for me. It's a habanero. So I'm not that far off from where you are. Now, obviously, if I was throwing out the process, it would be a bell pepper, but I don't believe that that's how the Golden Knights played. I, I really don't. I think last night was a habanero if I've ever seen one. It was right in the middle. You look at what they did so well at 5-on-5, five five, and then you wonder why it can't translate to special teams. Um, that That's the biggest thing for me coming out of last night's game. And, and I had some calls last night on the post-game show, one blaming referees. I, I'm not here for that argument. I'm not going to sit here and, and say that the refs decided that game last night. The Golden Knights had plenty of opportunities on the power play, especially two back-to-back in the third period. That should have been the game right there, right? Like, that should have been the game. And I, I've been harping on the power play. I, I've been banging this drum since the five-game win streak, since we had that that segment uh, to open up the show on a Monday at, at the Oyo Hotel and Casino. Like I have been banging the drum that the power play has to come through in key moments for this Golden Knights club. If the power play had bailed them out last night, if the power play had scored a couple of goals, or if the penalty kill didn't give up a couple of goals, we're looking at last night's game as one of those games where, you know what, the Golden Knights, they went into Vancouver, they did what they needed to do, they played well enough at 5-on-5, five five, they controlled a lot of aspects of the game, a long portion of, of parts of the game. Uh, you would have liked a lot of their game if the result was different. I'm telling you that right now. And there's a lot of reasons, and, and every facet of the game counts toward the overall 60 minutes, and you can't just throw out penalties, or, or you can't throw penalties out the window, you can't say that you, you didn't start the game on time, you take a penalty early on, they score a minute and four seconds in, you can't throw that out at the end of the day. I get all that, but my point is, if you look at last night's game and you break it down, I thought the Golden Knights probably played better in that game than they did against Arizona, and they beat Arizona 6-1. to one. And that gives you an idea of where the margins are, especially if your special teams are not coming through for you the way that they're not coming through for the Golden Knights right now. Yeah, I have a difficult time with, with the referee thing as well because I saw some of that on Twitter. Oh, you got to call that cross-check. Eichel got cross-checked. You gave up five goals. 
Just stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that's it. Don't give up five goals and you're not in that situation. I mean, it's, it's yeah, pretty I, simple. I, I don't disagree. I, I don't disagree. Now, I, the the interesting thing again, like all, in all of this, is the Golden Knights do get a point, right? And, and and I think that that that's worth something. Obviously, it's worth a standings point, but. I tend to kind of think like you do. If there were areas of the game that were cleaned up, if and you, we talked to Dave Shane earlier on, if Mark Stone, when he pickpockets uh, Quinn Hughes, if he's able to put that puck in the back of the net, that changes the landscape of the game. That's a big key moment from your captain and Mark Stone in his return to the lineup. I think the Golden Knights kind of ride on that momentum. I, but you you look at the the outlook right now with with the the playoff race and where the Golden Knights are at. This is going to be an interesting one down the stretch. It really is because you do salvage a point. I do think that they left one on the table because their special teams let them down. But here's the outlook. Dallas 88 points, Nashville 89 points. Both teams have a game in hand on the Vegas Golden Knights. That's the wild card look. I have a tendency to believe that wild card is not in the ta- uh, like not in the cards for the Golden Knights. I think the path is Los Angeles and Los Angeles only. And to some extent, maybe Edmonton as well. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if this game happens maybe in November, December, you're, you're not too upset with it. But with nine games remaining, including last night, I think yeah. the, these are points that you need to get. Because the way I look at it, you need to get points against every team that is below you. And I don't mean a loser point. I mean two points against any team that is below you in the standings. I think you need to win every game at home at this point. There's just no margin for error. And I feel like last night was one of those games where if they missed the playoffs, we're going to harp back and we're going to say, you remember this game against Vancouver? They were terrible on the penalty kill and their power play was awful. If they missed the playoffs by one point, this is the game. So right now, as it stands, the Los Angeles Kings, 88 points. 75 games played, so the Golden Knights have a game in hand right now. Los Angeles does play in just a little while, about an hour from now, against the Colorado Avalanche in Colorado. So at the end of the night, going into tomorrow's game against the Calgary Flames, the Golden Knights will have two games in hand on Los Angeles, and it'll either be a three-point deficit, a four-point deficit, or a five-point deficit. That's what you're looking at. Now, I would argue... This is the biggest game on the calendar for the Los Angeles Kings, and tomorrow is the biggest game on the calendar for the Vegas Golden Knights. If Los Angeles picks up a point or two, no matter what, tomorrow the Golden Knights have to match that. Do you agree? Oh, I absolutely agree. At this point, you got to go stride for stride with the Kings. I mean, if you lose a yeah. game and they and they win a game, it 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 really really becomes difficult. Because I, I I think being what five points behind at that point, you're not looking very very good at making the playoffs. You got to go stride for stride. You got to hope, and and I think you really have to hope they lose tonight. Because you look ahead, and we've mentioned it a couple times. I don't think they run the table, but mm-hmm. them going very close to running the table is very likely. Like maybe only losing one of those next games that they'll have. What is it? Six games for them remaining after tonight. So yeah. it, it gets a little dicey. If they beat Colorado and you somehow, because I think winning two games in Alberta, it's an absolute must if L.A. wins tonight. Yeah. Now, 
the the interesting thing is you're going to get another game out of Mark Stone, and and I think that there was rust for sure. Um, you know, you heard Mark's comments after the game about just it it, it taking. It's going to take time. It is. And, and unfortunately for the Golden Knights, time is not a, a commodity that they have a lot of. They're, you're talking about eight games left in the regular season, and it takes a while for the legs and the lungs to get back to where they need to be to perform at a high level. Um, what are you expecting out of Mark Stone down the stretch? Because I know we talked about tempering expectations yesterday. I just think it's really hard to do that when you get your captain back in the lineup and you know the impact that Mark Stone can have on a nightly basis. Uh, do you view the final eight games through a different lens based on what you saw out of Mark Stone last night? Well, I, I, I think we still need to temper expectations because I, I still don't know where he is health-wise. Uh, you listen to him yeah. with, with Ashley after the game, and he, he was pretty adamant about the fact that nothing came back really quick for him and his lungs – weren't there for him when when he really needed it. So, um, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take Mark to to get back to the point where he is the Mark Stone who who feels like he's a hundred percent. If we get to that point, I don't. I, I it's tough because I think obviously we 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 think he's Superman because he's been so good for this franchise and and he's always seemed to be able to find a a, a way deep down to make things happen, but. I think when, when you're fighting your health, I think it's hard. I mean, it's it's a situation where without really knowing how close he is to 100%, I think it's impossible for us to really gauge just how close we are to seeing the Mark Stone we've become accustomed to. And I think we do need to temper expectations. Look, if he goes out tomorrow night and he has a goal and an assist, and or not tomorrow night, uh, yeah, tomorrow night. If he goes out tomorrow night and has a goal and an assist and they win the game, you're like, hey, wait a minute. This is this is the guy we 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 expect to see, but then if he follows it up, we're we're with a night like last night. It's like all right, well, may, maybe he's not a hundred percent. It really depends on Mark's health, and and I think it's really tough to gauge. So I, I'm reserving judgment on this until after last night, after tomorrow's game. Like I I think that the the opportunity is always there with Mark Stone because of how he plays, because of how smart he is as a player. Uh, there's always an opportunity for him to do something spectacular. He almost did it last night, right? Like, even in game where Mark admits that it, it didn't come back for him, it, it wasn't a particularly easy game for him, even in a game where he didn't have it, he wasn't himself. He nearly scored by pickpocketing one of the best most sure-footed and well, uh, great and good stick handling defenseman in the league in Quinn Hughes, right? Like that is what Mark Stone is able to do, even if he's not 100. percent And and that's never going to go away from his game because that's his mind, that's his instincts, that's his ability to read plays, understand where to pressure, and then lift pucks off of players before they even know what happened. You know, and that is still there for him. So after tomorrow's game. It's very possible that Mark Stone picks up two points and looks fantastic because his instincts are a little bit sharper, his timing is a little bit better, and he's able to come through when the Golden Knights need him. But I think you're right in that we've got to kind of give it some time, as as difficult as that is, with only eight games remaining. You know, you bring up a really interesting point about how smart of a player Mark Stone is, and I think it, it makes me wonder, is he able to kind of teach himself to maybe play things a little bit different in certain situations to kind of conserve a little bit of that energy to kind of 
save some of that some of that breathing that he's going to need for for a push in the third period. Mark Stone is is really good at adjusting, I think. And I think we're we're probably going to see a situation where maybe Mark does maybe play things a little bit differently. Maybe he does play certain shifts a little bit differently just so he's able to conserve. And, you know, it's like I said, it's just so hard. And you kind of wish you would have had more than eight games to see him get back. But if he's able to use these eight games to get back to 100%, and I don't know if that's even a realistic expectation, but if he does, and this team makes the playoffs, I think we're going to see the best Mark Stone we've seen in a really, really long time. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And then the other thing I'm looking at tomorrow, and we'll get into it maybe a little bit more on tomorrow's show and then uh, probably on Friday because I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, you know, we've talked about goaltending. I firmly believe that it's likely going to be Robin Leonard. Like, I, I just don't see a reason why Pete DeBoer is going to move off of Robin Leonard unless there is something that will prevent Robin from playing. Uh, and, and, and again, I, I'm not sure where the line between healthy enough and 100% is, but I, I don't think that it's particularly close. Um, I think that I'm intrigued by the Golden Knights and what Pete might do with the lines. Do we see at some point here soon Eichel with Stone and Pacioretty, or do we see some tweaking and configurations that maybe look a little bit different for Vegas going into the game tomorrow against uh, against uh, the Flames. And I, I guess after we've seen two games, maybe we can come up with an idea of what we think the best combination would be to maximize offense and defensive structure for the Golden Knights because you're you're not going to win many games this time of year if you're allowing four and five goals. And so for the Golden Knights, there's got to be a balance between finding offense but maintaining your defensive identity. And I think that's going to be the key down the stretch. So uh, maybe that's an exercise we come up with on Friday after we see what the approach is for Pete DeBoer going into tomorrow's game against the Calgary Flames. But right now we've got a pair of tickets to give away. Yes, that's right. I teased it all the way back in hour number one. It is a pair of tickets to the Golden Knights and New Jersey Devils this coming Monday. Pair of tickets, 702-876-1340 is the number, 702-876-1340. Caller number 12, you're a winner. We've got one-timers coming up next on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it. He shoots. He scores. It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show. One-timers. Brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fees. It's my favorite segment, honestly, it is. I, I can't explain to you enough how much I've enjoyed doing one-timers because there's been a lot of news, and a lot of it's been really fun and uh, somewhat dramatic. Uh, so let's let's get right into it. Um, Evander Kane, uh, no stranger to controversy, uh, showed up last night. Uh, in in the Oilers' 5-1 loss to the Minnesota Wild. Minnesota absolutely ran the Oilers out of the building, which is really not all that surprising. Miko Koskinen was playing. Um, But late in the game, Ryan Hartman, Evander Kane, they they got into it a little bit. No fighting. Like, if I'm in that situation, like, if I'm I'm Ryan Hartman, if I'm Evander Kane, and Evander Kane kind of spoke to it as as much after the game, like, I'd have liked to have gotten free. I'd have liked to have had a fight, and that's fine. I I think that in those situations, linesmen just let him go. But 
here's where it gets fun. Here's where it gets interesting. Here's where I want your opinion on it, Chris Chapman. Uh, Ryan Hartman, after the altercation and interaction on the ice, flipped Evander Kane off. Ryan Hartman was subsequently fined $4,250. Um, and I think perhaps the greatest thing that, to come out of this one is that uh, fans started Venmoing Ryan Hartman money to cover his fine. So, like, where are you at on, on like, the altercation? Where are you at with... You know, everything that happened uh, between Ryan Hartman and Evander Kane last well, night. Well, not just fans, but Evander Kane's oh, ex-wife okay. included there you go. In, in that Venmo. Yeah. So I'm all for it. Look, Hartman is a guy who plays. He plays with an edge, and he's an mm-hmm. emotional guy. And Kane is a guy who, well, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't really have a lot of great things to say about him. So I could totally understand fans being uh-huh. on board with sending Ryan Hartman money to pay the fine. Um, and I can understand sure. Ryan Hartman telling uh, Vander Kane where he can go. I mean, I, I, I think it's good. I, I, I like that sort of stuff as long as it doesn't involve yeah. the team that I that I support or the team that I cover. And I don't have to really ask the questions after the game. I, I, I'm on board with it. Sign me up for that. So the other aspect of this is both guys were were made available to the media yesterday, and Ryan Hartman said something to the effect of, in the scrum, we had five guys in, and there was just Evander Kane. Love it. Uh, Love it. Kind of taking a, taking a shot, right, that, that Evander Kane's own teammates won't come to his defense. Uh, Evander's view of the situation was a little bit different. Uh, they, they had five guys. They couldn't get me down. I'd have loved to have gotten um, – Oh, I'd have loved to have gotten free those little guys, speaking to Ryan Hartman's stature. Uh, they love to talk when the linesman's in there. Um, all it did for me, honestly, uh, besides being funny, uh, was was make me hope that if, if there's some situation where things don't pan out for either the Vegas Golden Knights or you know the Calgary Flames or really anything, like a playoff series between these two clubs where things actually matter is going to be huge. And Ryan Hartman, Evander Kane, part two, is going to live up to the hype. Because Ryan Hartman, as you mentioned, uh, wears his heart on his sleeve. He's one of those annoying pest-type players, but he puts the puck in the back of the net, so he's equally frustrating. Um, I want to see another matchup. I want to see these two teams go at it again, and and I want to see what happens when uh, maybe a linesman isn't in the way and and where they can go from there it'd be it'd be great yeah i don't i don't think hartman would fight him because i think that's a bigger loss for minnesota than it is for edmonton right right i think he would you hear that all but maybe not in the playoffs though maybe in a, in a different time but, but you know but what see here's the thing like ryan hartman wouldn't have to be the one to do it like there's going to be no mark marcus felino will jump in jordan greenway will jump in like that's the thing with with the Minnesota Wild is like you've got three, four, five guys that would probably stand in line before Ryan Hartman, and, and I think Ryan Hartman still would do it. Um, I don't think you can say the same about the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, well, and, and it kind of shows in, in Hartman's comments, right? Because I think we've seen it now in multiple places with Evander Kane um, when when the Shark players were kind of asked about his, him controversies, in plural, mm-hmm. over the summer and in, yep. in the offseason. They kind of it was kind of like that old cartoon where the guys have their hands in their pockets and they're whistling and they're looking around like, eh, we don't really know what's going on and we're not really going to defend this guy." So, yeah, he, he's not a well-liked guy. He's a great player. I mean, he's a really good player, but man, he's a bonehead and and it's it's kind of fun to watch and and the trash talk by Hartman. I mean, I I love it because I think he's he's 100% accurate there. 
All right, so trash talk from player to player. Let's go to a different angle. Um, the Calgary Flames last night, down 3-1 to one going into the third period against the Seattle Kraken. Matty Beneers picked up his first career NHL point in his debut. Everything going well for the Kraken? Well, that is until Daryl Sutter decided to pull Jacob Markstrom, put in Dan Vladar, my favorite name in the NHL right now. Um, and then Johnny Gaudreau. Scored his 100th point of the year. And then the Calgary Flames got four goals in the third period. And then the Calgary Flames beat the Seattle Kraken 5-3 in regulation. Matthew Kachuk completed a hat-trick into an empty net. Are you surprised at, at the juggernaut the Calgary Flames are right now? No, I'm, I'm not because... You, you look at the team as a whole. First of all, they've, they've got a fantastic coach who understands what it takes to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, we'll get there. His, his, we'll his, get there. Uh, some, some of the other things he says are really good. I think the, the signing of Blake Coleman in the offseason was one of those that kind of flew under the radar, but it was a good signing. Their top line is one of the best in the league. And by the way, how is it Johnny Goudreau was not in the discussion for Hart Trophy? Mm, I'm glad you brought that up. Would you put Johnny Gaudreau above, I don't know, say Jonathan Uberdo? <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm going to be biased to the Pacific mm -hmm. Division, and I'm going to mm -hmm. say the, 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 three, the, the three top guys should all come from the Pacific Division. It should be Johnny Gaudreau, Connor McDavid, and Leon Dreisaitl. There. Um, my, my, oh, come my, on. oh, my God. Wait a minute. I just what made you, it all, all Alberta. About? Yeah, I would put Johnny Gaudreau over Jonathan Huberdeau. So now I'm curious because you just brought this up. Where where are you at, Johnny Gaudreau versus Connor McDavid? I have you know what I have Gaudreau ahead of McDavid. I think it, it's hard yeah. it's hard to talk me away from Austin Matthews winning the heart, but I think Johnny Gaudreau is right now he he should be the number two guy. Like for me, if I if you're if you're making me go right now, it's Austin Matthews, Igor Shesterkin, Johnny Gaudreau. Like that would be my top three. But there's still some time left in the regular season for Jonathan Huberdeau to do something that I think is worthy of the heart. Have, have like I don't know. 12 more secondary assists <laughs> or like score more than like for Huberdeau. Like, can we get to 35 goals? Like, can, can that be a thing that happens? Well, like, I, the, I don't know. You know, but, it, it's funny because we, we always talk about the one, two punch for Edmonton, but Matthew Kachuk has yeah. 92 points. He, he may, he may have huh? 40 yeah. goals. Elias Lindholm, very quietly, has th they have four guys on that team with over 30 goals. The guy whose name I can never say right, Andrew Mangiapane. But oh wow, you did it! But they've got they've got four guys with 30 plus goals. I mean that team is absolutely loaded. At huh? least a, a, you know. But Goudreau, I think. Look, they're they're ahead of Edmonton in the standings, and he, mm -hmm. I think he's the best player on the Calgary Flames. By the way, unrestricted free agent heading into the offseason. Yeah, may, may uh, want to no, lock that guy up. <laughs> he's the engine for sure. So here's where I wanted to get to with this because I think the world of Daryl Sutter. I think he's as 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 far as hockey coaches go. I think he understands the psychology of what he says better than anybody else in the league right now. So last night, Johnny Gaudreau sets career high in points, breaks the hundred point barrier, and Daryl was asked about it after the game. Now, he did say it's great for Johnny, right? He was probably thinking about it in the back of his mind. Hopefully, he's got 20 more in it. But then, later on in the press conference, Daryl was asked about how difficult it is to reach 100 points. And 
after lauding Goudreau for getting there and then hoping that he's got more in him, Daryl says this, quote, I don't care. Does that win the Stanley Cup? I'd rather have the guys that win the scoring race in the playoffs. I don't view that as a bad thing. Like, that's Daryl Sutter. That's who he is. As great a season as Johnny Goudreau is having right now, I think what Daryl Sutter's trying to establish here is that it has to continue into the playoffs because that's where your legend is made. And for Johnny Hockey to have this season, if he doesn't follow it up by being one of the best players in the playoffs, then the Calgary Flames aren't going to go deep. And if they don't go deep, it's going to feel like a wasted opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that because if you look at the recent history of the Calgary Flames, I, I don't know if you could say they've underachieved in the playoffs, but they certainly, I don't think they've lived up to the expectations that were set forth. Um, yep. So I think Daryl's right. And, and look, it's a challenge not only to his team, but I think he's letting letting the world know, look, we're, we're, we're taking this serious. We feel like we have a team that can win the Stanley Cup, and I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of like it. I, I like a coach who will challenge his best players at playoff yep. time because you're going to find out just how good they really are. His press conferences are absolutely fantastic. So that was last night with Daryl. And so today, I guess, he was asked about the Golden Knights. Um, and and we've heard Daryl talk about Colorado, right? Like, he's weighed in on what it would like, what it would be like to be a wild card team this year, having to face the Colorado Avalanche. That's a waste of eight days. You have no business showing up. All they'll do is beat you. And here's what Daryl Sutter had to say today about the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, This comes from Wes Gilbertson on Twitter. When they have a full squad, the Golden Knights, they're the favorites to win the Stanley Cup. Other than the team that has the Stanley Cup, they're the favorites. They have a $100 million payroll, so they have to figure out how to keep 20 out. End quote. So Daryl Sutter has spent weeks building up the Colorado Avalanche. And now that it feels like right now that it feels like the golden knights are going to get themselves into the playoffs what's daryl doing he's building them up while trying to establish that his team should they meet the vegas golden knights in the playoffs would somehow be underdogs the calgary flames who are leading the pacific division are likely going to win the division now he is building the golden knights up a team that is on the cusp and has to do a lot of winning down the stretch to make the playoffs he's building them up to be not the underdogs but the favorite the psychology of daryl sutter is fascinating he's the yoda of hockey i i like it and i love the star wars reference by the way um i i like the gamesmanship and he's really good at it um you know what he's doing is he's kind of as much as he put the pressure on his team last night, now he's kind of taking it off his team. And yes. I, 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 I love it. I love the fact that he's kind of pumping up the Golden Knights. Like, hey, you know what? These guys are supposed to be better than us. They should kick our butts. Mm-hmm. And yep. by the way, Golden Knights don't seem to win games in Calgary. So, uh, you know, it, it, there, there is a lot of psychology. There's a lot of gamesmanship. And I, I've always been a fan of, of coaches who are able to really twist like there's a there's a coach in soccer named Jose Mourinho, and you either love him or hate him, but he's able to just twist and twist and find ways to get <laughs> under your skin, and he'll say the things that really make you angry as a fan base, but he gets his teams to play really well, and I think that's kind of where Daryl Sutter is. Like he's a bit like that, where he's a, a little neurotic, you know, where he's going to drive you nuts, 
but he gets the best out of his teams, and, and we've seen that from Calgary this year. I mean, they are by far and away the best team in the Pacific. Frankly, the best part of the Calgary Flames making it to the playoffs is the extra time you're going to get at the press conference from Daryl Sutter after a game. If you haven't wa- like sat down and watched a Daryl Sutter press conference, do yourself a favor, grab your popcorn. It is appointment television it's fantastic it's great stuff and those are your one timers for today wednesday april 13th we're back to wrap it up next on the vgk insider show on fox sports las vegas when the guy wouldn't stop talking we had no choice but to give him his own segment it's time for catching up with chapman all right, Ryan, I know you are a big Los Angeles Dodgers fan. And this afternoon, Clayton Kershaw, a guy who will probably be mentioned in the same breath as a lot of the all-time great Dodger pitchers. He took a perfect game into the seventh inning, had thrown 80 pitches, completed seven innings, and Dave Roberts pulled him with six outs remaining. They give up one hit. They end up beating the Twins 7 nothing, but... I got to be honest, as a guy who is not a Dodger fan, but a guy who loves the game of baseball, it kind of pisses me off that Dave Roberts pulled Clayton Kershaw. And I understand there's the whole, well, these guys didn't have a very prolonged spring training. There's only been 23 perfect games in the history of Major League Baseball. We're going back over 150 years, only 23. I think as a fan of the game, I'd rather see Clayton Kershaw throw a perfect game and I'm not a Dodger fan, so I could say I'd rather see that than them win the World Series. Like, I, I think they wonder why ratings are hurting in baseball and why yeah. fans are down. It's because of crap like that. You know what? Put the guy in. If he gives up a hit in, in the eighth inning, then you pull him. But at least give him a chance at history. Yeah, give him a chance, right? Like, that's that's the only that's the only take here that makes any sense. You, you give him a chance. Only 80 pitches. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was going to be too detrimental. But, you know. That's what happens when you take fun out of the game. Speaking of fun, we'll be with you tomorrow leading up to Vegas and Calgary. 